I greet you in the worthy name of our Lord this morning. It's a gift and a privilege to be here with you all. Really enjoyed the, the service already. Uh, the singing started with some songs, Near, Still Near, Closer to Your Heart, O God. And we sang about, Come Gracious Spirit, Lead Us to Christ, the Living Way. And then Ellis' opening, pointing us clearly to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, the way, the truth, and the life. And more singing, declaring that our God, he is alive. Praise the Lord for that. And the scripture reading in Psalm 139 is how God knows everything about us. There's nothing we can hide. The message that I've entitled this morning is, the pursuit of knowing God. So he knows everything about us. How do we know him? And so how do we pursue knowing him? And I'd like to look, start with two short passages of scripture, two scenes of worship. The one is in, is in 2 Chronicles chapter 7. If you want to follow along in scripture, that's fine. If you want to listen, that's fine. 2 Corinthians I'm sorry, 2 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles chapter 7, the first three verses. At the dedication of the temple. Now when Solomon had made an end of praying, the fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the house. And the priests could not enter into the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord had filled the Lord's house. And when all the children of Israel saw how the fire came down and the glory of the Lord upon the house, they bowed themselves with their faces to the ground upon the pavement and worshiped and praised the Lord, saying, For he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. It's a beautiful scene of worship. The other scene I'd like to refer to is in Job chapter 1, verses 20 through 22. And it says, Then Job arose and rent his mantle and shaved his head and fell down upon the ground and worshipped and said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. So here we have two scenes of worship. And we can do a bit of comparing and contrasting. And if we compare it, the similarities, there's about one similarity, and that is that worship happened. And in both scenes, there was a bowing down, a falling to the ground and worshiping. Otherwise, it's pretty much contrast. As we think of the dedication of the temple, Israel had been at work for seven years. Over 150 people, over 150,000 people working for seven years to accomplish this work. 80,000 people, hewers of wood, 
cutting down trees, forming the logs, 70,000 bearers of burdens. So thousands of people working, stonemasons, metal workers, woodworkers. And finally, the temple is complete. And it's the dedication of this years of labor, hundreds of thousands of man hours put into this thing. And at the conclusion of Solomon's prayer of dedication, fire came down from heaven and consumed the sacrifices. It was a sign of God approves of what has been accomplished. The glory of the Lord fills the house of, of God. The priests couldn't even enter to do their part. They see and experience the glory and the goodness of the Lord, and they say, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. They worship. The other scene of Job, after years of investing time and energy in increasing his flocks and herds, his holdings, years of investing in his children's lives, sacrificing on behalf of them. He did it regularly. I don't know, was it weekly, daily, monthly, but it was on a regular basis. And in one day, it's gone, completely gone. It's a day of loss, a day of mourning. It's a day of destruction. And Job acknowledges the loss. He tears his clothes and he shaves his head, but he worships. And he says, I was born naked, I was born with nothing, that's the way I'll end. And he blessed the name of the Lord. From our human perspective, is the one response of worship more expected than the other? Maybe. But what, why do we worship God? Do we worship him based on who he is or based on the circumstances that we're in? And I say, if we worship him for who he is, the response of worship is always the right response. And I think it is every bit as reasonable that Job's response was to worship in the midst of his grief and loss as it was for the children of Israel to worship when they saw the glory of the Lord because God was the same God. I think the, too often our worship is maybe based on if we feel we've worshipped. Worship is more than a feeling. Worship should be a way of life for us. So that regardless what the situations and circumstances are that we face, whether it's lament or it's time of joy, it's we respond with worship. And we acknowledge God that he is good, he is who he said he is. In Psalm 103, verse 7, it says, He made known his ways unto Moses, his acts unto the children of Israel. I think Job 
like Moses, he understood the ways of God in a way that allowed him to worship. The children of Israel saw the acts of the Lord, and there was worship. But I find it interesting that in the New Testament, Jesus clearly says that the worship of the Old Testament in the temple worship is going to change. In his interchange with the woman at the well, says, you know, worship won't happen necessarily in this mountain in Samaria or at Jerusalem, but worship will happen anytime, any place. But it must be done in spirit and in truth. So the temple worship changes. But in James 5, it talks about Job, and it could almost imply that the response of Job is something to be aspired towards where it says, Ye have heard of the patience of Job, and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. And so I think the, the worship of Job, could you say it was tested in a way that the children of Israel didn't experience at the dedication of the temple? And so how we worship, or I should say, how we know God informs how we worship. In Hebrews 11, verse 6, it says, But without faith it is impossible to please him, but he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And so, in order to come to God, first of all, we need to believe that he is. Can we prove that God exists? Depends how you use the word prove, but can you scientifically prove that God exists? I would say I, I don't think you really can scientifically prove that God exists. If we could prove it, would we need faith to believe? God has put things in place and revealed himself in ways that make sense to believe, even if we can't scientifically prove him. And I think it is a reasonable and logical faith to believe that God is. In Romans 1.20, says, For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. It's through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. And so, as we just look about us, the, the church structure here, was there a builder to put this building up? Probably several of them. <laughs> the, some frolics. Okay, you had some people working together. There were builders involved. There was a clock back there. Did someone design that clock? Yeah, there's a designer. There's a roadway going out here. Do you think there were engineers involved getting the slope and the curves right? You know, everything we see, there, there's a builder, there's a designer, engineers, behind the things that we see. And doesn't it make sense that when we go outside and we see the trees, the birds, the animals, the stars, the microorganisms, 
Doesn't it make sense that there's a builder, there's a designer behind all of that? And so it would say, it's a logical faith to believe that God is. Well, this morning's message is not focused on if God exists or not, but how can we get to know him better? To grow in our awareness and our knowledge of who he is. I invite you to turn to Philippians chapter 3. Paul writing to the church at Philippi. Philippians chapter 3, I'll be reading the first 14 verses. As finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you, to me indeed is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision. For we are the circumcision which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ, and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus." Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. It's a wonderful passage where Paul just sort of lays it out. This is my background. This is where I'm at. This is where I'm headed. I'm pressing on. I want to know him. So Paul gives his credentials here in verses 3 through 6. And we could say that he had the credentials that were needed to be successful in the Jewish Hebrew culture and society that he grew up in. His parents did the right thing. They were of the right stock, the right lineage. They had him circumcised the eighth day. He was properly taught. He was taught by Gamaliel, a reputable teacher. He kept the law. It says, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. So he, he kept the letter of the law. Couldn't find fault in how he lived it out. But he says... 
Those things that were so important to me, now I count them but loss for Christ. They're not his security anymore. Now, is Paul saying, I wish I had not grown up a Jew? I wish I wouldn't have had that background. Is that what he's saying? I, I don't think so. In Romans 3, he, he says that, you know, to us as the Jews, we were given the laws of God. And he says it was an advantage to grow up in that setting. And he used his knowledge of Old Testament to write and speak persuasively that Jesus is now the fulfillment of the Old Testament. And so I don't think Paul is saying, I wish I had not been born or raised the way I was. But it's simply saying, these things are not where my security lies anymore. My security is now in Jesus Christ. He is primary. He is my focus. I want to know him. In the ESV, in verse 8, it says, Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. How much do we invest in knowing our Lord? In knowing Christ. That was primary for Paul. He is the focus, and he was willing to suffer the loss of all things so that he might win Christ. You know, there are a lot of good things to be involved in. Ministries, reaching out, going to church. But if these things are simply activities and they don't flow out of a life that knows Christ. They're simply activities. Knowing Christ is primary, and then we need to live out of that reality. Otherwise, it's activities. And Paul now sees his righteousness is no longer in living out the letter of the law, but his righteousness, which is of God by faith, by faith in Christ Jesus. He is the fulfillment of the letter of the law that he lived out earlier. And then verse 10, just sort of a, a highlight of a verse, that I may know him. Paul is just focusing on Christ, to know him. And then there are two different aspects, how to know him. He wants to know about the power of the resurrection, and he wants to know about the fellowship of his sufferings. To know him. To know him means to be aware of, to perceive and understand, and it can also refer to intimate relationship, to know Christ, to be intimate with him. We like to think about the resurrection, the power of the resurrection, to experience that in our lives, and we want to. But if we think we can experience that power without experiencing death and the fellowship of his sufferings, I think we're misunderstanding scripture. 
Before there is a resurrection, there has to be a death, a dying to self. And Matthew Henry, the commentator, he wrote, says, the apostle was as ambitious of being sanctified as he was of being justified. Which is most important to us, being justified or sanctified? Now, we like the idea of being justified. We're in right relationship with God. But sometimes that process of sanctification, some of that suffering, the dying to self, it's a little hard to to go through it at times. But Paul here is saying, I want to know the fellowship of his sufferings to be sanctified, to be made more like Christ so that I can attain to the power of the resurrection. And then he goes on and says, I haven't attained what I still want to attain. It's not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect. But I follow after. I continue to focus on that. At home in our congregation over the years, we've had a lot of elderly people. At one time we had... I think it was close to 30 people that were 80 and over. And it was a tremendous encouragement to see elderly people who still had a hunger for God to grow. We haven't attained yet. You know, if they would have sat in the pews and just sort of been comfortable and we've got it made, we've got our act together, we have attained. I don't think that would have been very encouraging to me. But it was more encouraging when I saw a hunger for God in their lives. They continued to be steadfast in prayer, to hunger for the word. They hungered to know God. And that is an encouragement. And I see Paul doing that. We look up to him as an amazing apostle. And he was. But even he is saying, I haven't reached what I want to. I want to grow. I want to go on. And he says, one thing he does is forgetting those things which are behind. And I think those were his failures of the past as well as his successes of the past. He's forgetting those things behind. He's focused ahead on Jesus Christ. And that is where we want to focus, to know him. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. He's exerting effort into reaching that goal. He's not just sort of casually ambling along and, well, I'll probably plan to get there someday. That wasn't Paul. He exerted effort. He was focused. In Luke 11, I think I'll just quickly read that portion there. Luke 11, 9 through 13, it talks about how we need to ask to seek, and to knock. Luke 11, 9 through 13, Christ speaking, And I say unto you, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. And when we think about that, you know, I don't think it's just talking, well, Lord, I want this one time, and we casually glance around, oh, I haven't found it, or one knock, and then we quit. I think we, we get the picture of there's persistent in, persistence in this asking and knocking and seeking. 
For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he for a fish give him a serpent? Or if he shall ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? I think as we seek, we pursue Christ. We also pursue the infilling of his Holy Spirit within our hearts. And it doesn't happen by just casually ambling along and taking life casually. It's a pursuing, it's a seeking after with our whole being. And as we have his spirit, it bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Just a wonderful passage here in Philippians of the pursuit of knowing God, pursuing him. I'd like for us to sing song number 837. I asked Derek to lead that. It puts into words just some of this hungering. Lord, I am fondly, earnestly longing. I invite you to stand as we sing that song. The 137. Lord, I...
Thank you for that. Longing to grow more into the holiness of Christ. Thirsting for more and deeper communion. Dead to the world. It's dying. Not only to the world out there, it's dying to the world in here. In this life, we pursue knowing God, but now we know in part. But then shall we know even as also we are known. But I think in, in eternity, while we know God more completely and fully, in Ephesians it talks about that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. I think we'll, through eternity, we'll learn more and more about God. If God is infinite, doesn't it take infinity to know him? And to me, that is exciting to think of throughout eternity, getting to know him more and more fully. What are ways of knowing God presently? A few points that I'd like to bring out. Discussed it at home a bit and one of my sons about the first thing he said, time. It takes time. Developing friendships with other people, you have to spend time together. And may I say it's best face-to-face -face versus messaging on phones. To really get to know someone, you need time with the person himself. Take time to be holy. Speak oft with thy Lord. Spend much time in secret with Jesus alone. Feed on his word. Make friends of God's children. By looking to Jesus like him, thou shalt be. Jesus, when he was on the earth, he spent a whole night in prayer to God. There was a time when he was 40 days and nights in the wilderness, fasting, spending time with the Father, going through difficulties and trials and temptations. It takes time. And also, I'd like to encourage you, take time to observe God's creation. I had read Romans 1.20 earlier, where it talks about by the, the invisible things of God are clearly seen by the things that he created. And simply looking and enjoying God's creation, I think, is we see aspects of God through that. We have a picture of a flower at home with a quote underneath that says, if we could see the miracle of a single flower clearly, our whole life would change. You know, look at a flower, it's a pretty simple, but can we clearly understand everything that happens in the beauty and the transformation of a flower? That's not scripture, but I think there's something to it that the more fully we understand the intricacies of God's creation, the more it changes our lives and we adore him as creator.
So take time. That's one way of getting to know God, spending time with him. Secondly, obey revealed truth. To think that we can get to know Christ more and more without walking in obedience, I think is a deception. 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 through 6 says, And hereby we do know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also so to walk, even as he walked. And we're not talking about a legalistic obedience, but we're talking about an obedience that flows from a heart of love for him. And later in 1 John 5 verse 3, it says, For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. It's not a thing of, oh, do I have to be obedient to this command of God? No, they're not grievous. It's when we love God, we obey. And it's a privilege to be obedient. And Christ said in John 14, verse 15, If ye love me, keep my commandments. And so obey revealed truth. Another one in 1 John is to keep our hearts free from idolatry. Maybe a sub-point to obey revealed truth. In, in the Old Testament, as you look at the children of Israel, they fell into idolatry. And sometimes there were revivals, and it says they turned back to God, but the high places of idolatry weren't taken care of. And those high places really limited in how completely the children of Israel came back to God. And we have tendencies. We, probably all of us, have areas of high places within our own hearts that we deal with. Deal with them. One thing that I've dealt with over the years is my eating habits. They're not very stellar at times. Sometimes I just simply eat too much, and I think it's an area that can be a high place within my heart. I sort of a go-to. <laughs> Maybe when I'm under stress, start eating chips, it's hard to quit. <laughs> and sweets and desserts, things that I know that aren't that healthy for me, but I enjoy them quite well, maybe too well. Are there high places of idolatry within our hearts? 1 John 5 in the last two verses says, And we know that the Son of God is come and hath given us an understanding that we may know him that is true. And we are in him that is true, even in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. And then the last verse, just a short verse, but it says, Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. And so if you want to pursue knowing God, pursue knowing Christ, get rid of the high places of idolatry within your heart. And fourthly, way of knowing God, 
when the Father draws you to Jesus, respond. There are times when we have a sense of, oh, I, I long to know him more. But we postpone it. And you know, next week, that same hunger, that same longing, it's a good chance that it won't be there if you didn't do anything about it in the meantime. In John 6, verse 44, says, No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him. And so when you sense the Father drawing you, the Spirit of God coming upon you to respond promptly in obedience, and what that response looks like, I don't know what, the, what area you're dealing with, but when that stirring happens within your heart, act promptly. Sometimes we use the quote, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Sometimes used out of context, but I think there are times when our spirit is willing, but to actually do something, our flesh is sort of weak to act. There are disciplines that we can follow to open our hearts to continue hungering after him. Sometimes it may mean fasting from food, to abstain from food so we can have extra time with the Father. Maybe it means setting your alarm clock five or ten minutes earlier or longer so you can spend a little more time alone with God before you start the day. There are other disciplines, times of solitude, of just being alone. But there are choices that we make when, we, when the Father draws us and how we respond, the how we choose at those times impacts how we continue to hunger to know him or if the hunger goes away. So those are four areas of knowing God, taking time, obeying revealed truth, freeing our hearts from high places of idolatry, and fourthly, when the Father draws you to Jesus to respond. Investing our time, our resources, finances in knowing Jesus Christ is an investment that's well worth it. Invest heavily. How well we know Christ informs how we worship. If we know God as a health, wealth, prosperity God, that's how we'll worship him. If we know God as a disciplinarian, that informs how we'll worship him. How we know him informs how we worship. I'd like to close with 2 Peter 3, verse 18, where it says, But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Grow in grace. Grow in knowing him. Growing in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. May you experience that hunger to know him more 
And if you hunger, God is enabling you to make a right choice of response for that. And I encourage you to make that right response. Shall we kneel and pray? Father in heaven, this morning we rejoice in your faithfulness and your goodness. Thank you for salvation through Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the life. That way is very adequate. It is open for all who come in faith. Father, I pray that you would continue to do your stirring in each heart this morning. Give us a hunger. Draw us to Jesus. And enable us to respond by obedience and coming to you to know you better. Lord, we long to grow in our knowledge of Jesus Christ. You know the high, the high places of idolatry that we deal with within our own hearts. And Lord, we bring those to you this morning in surrender. And just saying we, we die to self. We want to live to Christ. Thank you for the congregation here. Pray your blessing on each one. We go in your name. In Christ we pray. Amen.